Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Mike Judge, and you're listening to the Pantheon Network. <laughs> I mean, we we practiced in Jay's basement, and he had he was sort of experimenting with amplification, like he was trying to find the right amplifiers to use and um, the right kind of guitar sound that he wanted. And it was really loud. I mean, it was brutally loud. Like him coming in with these huge, he would come in with these industrial muffs and he'd put them on his head, he'd turn up his guitar and me and Murph would be like, oh my god. Welcome to No Filler, the music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the space between the singles on our favorite records. My name is Travis. I got my brother Quentin with me, and we are kicking off 2024 with the iconic Dinosaur Jr. Q. What is your What is your relationship with Dinosaur Jr.? How much of this is going to be your your live reaction? My relationship with Dinosaur Jr. is I brushed up against them once in a bar and I looked back and thought, those guys look cool. And then I kept walking. Are you serious? In other words, in other words, <laughs> I've listened to them a handful of times a oh, long time ago. <laughs> and I thought, man, those guys are, that's, that's some fucking great tunes. And then I never revisited them. You kept on moving. Okay. I just kept on moving. I thought you were about to tell us a story about, because <laughs> no, you live in no. Seattle. It's, it's not entirely oh. out of the realm of possibility. <laughs> Right. No, I wish. So we're covering specifically their album from 87. Yes, that's correct. So we are uh, we are covering their 1987 record, You're Living All Over Me. And we'll get into the history a little bit, but this is kind of like the album that where, where they, they locked into their sound and they figured out kind of the perfect mix of kind of what they do best, which is like, this is a, a, a phrase that has been attributed to them, this this noise that they create. Ear-bleeding country, which <laughs> is interesting. Um, but it, there's a lot more to it than that. So we'll get into that. I think the country is more attributed to like maybe his vocal qualities or something like that. But yeah, 87 is a huge piece to this. Uh, the, the year that this came out is is a key piece to why this record is, is so... 
uh, seminal and how it went on to influence what was right around the corner with grunge. Uh, but more importantly, like well beyond just the grunge bands, like the sound of Dinosaur Jr. went on to influence tons of indie rock bands. Uh, the slacker rock is kind of what some people call it. Bands like My Bloody Valentine, right? So they're, they're an influence on Shoegate as well. And that's attributed a lot to the guitar playing of Mr. Jay Mascus. That is the lead guitar, vocals, really the brains behind the band. But yeah, so we're going to talk about this record. I'm going to play a few tracks. And yeah, this is our first episode cue back, back in our old format of doing deep dives into records. I'm excited, dude. Me too. We're back. I feel like we're back, man. I mean, we never left, but like we were sharing our favorite tunes all of 2023, sharing what yeah. we heard. 2023 was about, you know, we we were just out in the woods kind of wandering around, you know what I mean? Finding ourselves again. We, we just had to keep this thing alive, man. And we did it, you know? Yeah. We wanted to make sure that we kept it going, even if it was just an episode a month. Uh, so now we're just kind of getting back into the swing of things. So we're going to release two episodes a month, uh, really stretching ourselves here, but, um, <laughs> it's great. It, 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 it still boggles the mind Q that we did this once a week for years. Uh, yeah. Like what? Four years straight? Five years? Something Have, like that. Yeah. Three, four years. Now? Jesus Christ. Five years was last year. Cause we started in 2018. Okay. Yeah, man. But anyway, so. We thought Dinosaur Jr. would be a great uh, first band to to get back into this uh, with because of just the, the the reach of their influence it touches a lot of the the types of bands that we that we talk about. Yeah, we we might as well change the name of 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 the of the podcast to with like a with a a subtitle like uh, No Filler, the Grungy Shoegaze Podcast or something <laughs> because. Yeah. That, I mean, that's what we've been like leaning towards and falling in love with over the last three or four years, uh, like discovering just so, there's just so much more to learn mm -hmm. about this era, you know, alternative yeah. rock, whatever you want to call it, that 100%. spawned from the mid to late 80s through the 90s and, and is still going strong today. Like there's just... We could do an episode every week for the rest of our lives, you know, and, and never run out of, of interesting and, and cool music to, to listen to under this vein. And it's really cool how much of an influence Dinosaur Jr. had on on this sound. Yeah. And that that's the thing. If you wanted to, you know, I, I called them an indie rock band in the intro, but that's just kind of a really super overgeneralization because like they, they you know, they were considered, they, they were like doing the, the underground, you know, rock band thing before it but before that sound and and bands sort of in that in in the like the orbit of, of that like, type like noise, of sound became noise rock yeah po so post -punk, like sonic uh, youth sonic also youth, plays yeah. a, a big a big part in, in into the story of dinosaur jr so i'll talk about that a little bit too but anyway so let's just dive right into it q um where to begin so it's a three-piece you know, we love three pieces around here. We talk about um, three pieces all the time. So like I said earlier, Jay Mascus, lead guitar vocals, Lou Barlow on bass and backing vocals, and Patrick Murphy, or Murph, as he's called, on the drum kit. So uh, Barlow and Mascus actually met up in high school and formed a band 
that actually had some pretty good buzz and notoriety around them. Uh, they put out a record in 11th grade. Uh, they were a band called Deep Wound. So this was like a hardcore, thrashy, really fast punk rock band. And more, more, hardcore than, more hardcore than anything else. Uh, but what's interesting about Jay and Lou is that Jay actually started playing drums. That was his first instrument was drums. And Lou was actually the guitar player for Deep Wound. So when they formed Dinosaur, Jay was like, you know, I'm going to play guitar instead. And Lou decided to play guitar instead for some reason. Hmm. Um, but part of the reason that, that Jay switched to guitar, and that's the thing, he had, he had played a guitar growing up, like his sister had a guitar or something like that in the house that he grew up in. So it's not like it was the first time he played guitar. Uh, but the reason he switched to guitar is because he wanted to be the front man of this next band that they started and in his mind is like, well, I got to, I got to play guitar and sing if I'm going to be the front man. So I guess I'm not playing the drums anymore. Um, and so one of the reasons that his guitar sound is so loud and that's kind of what they're known for is just loud, noisy, fuzzy guitar sounds, right? Is because he wanted to essentially, when he was playing the guitar through the amp and stuff, he needed it to sound as loud as his drums sounded is what basically what he, <laughs> he was trying to make the guitar sound more loud because that's just what he drums are loud. It's, it's like, this needs to be, this needs to be louder. Uh, like I'm used to playing the drums. Yeah. Yeah. And so he famously has never really played straight through an amp. He always plays through pedals. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of his sort of um, go-to uh, pedals is the, it's it's the the big muff pedal is what it's called and that is a fuzz pedal that is essentially kind of synonymous with shoegaze right and so like in i have a quote here from um uh barlow he's talking about kind of like when, when they were first playing shows in seattle so this was i think in support of this record this is this is huge so uh i'm paraphrasing here but he says the very first shows we played in seattle the guys from mud honey Whoa. were crowded around the stage all looking at Jay's stuff, like his pedals and stuff. Name drop in there. And so Mudhoney has a an EP called Super Fuzz Big Muff, which came out after You're Living All Over Me, this record. And it's like Mudhoney was basing their whole concept for the band around Jay's thing, his sound. Wow. So that's, that's grunge, right? Mudhoney is one of the first founding like grunge bands right those those starting to do that that sound they were influenced hugely by by what they heard that night and that's why they were looking at those pedals you know what i mean and that's usually what um what people point back to when they when they talk about dinosaur jr is what jay did with the guitar and how different that was from kind of the alt rock stuff that was coming out basically somebody put it as like they're sort of like the uh the missing link this is a um, a review from NME, you know, that magazine, the NME. Mm -hmm. This guy, his name is Jack Barron. Uh, he he called the band the missing link between Husker Du and R.E.M. So, uh, anyway, what's important about them starting out as a hardcore band is that that aggressive, loud energy is part of, part of the Dinosaur Jr. sound. But it's not... You know they wanted to get away from hardcore and so they were 
you know, as they're, as they're writing, um, this record that we're going to talk about, they were more into, they were trying to be a little bit more, uh, melodic. Uh, they were into like black Sabbath and Jesus and Mary chain and REM. So they were fans of REM. Uh, and so they were trying to be a little bit more melodic, but also still noisy. So, um, okay. Enough talking. We'll talk more about the history of the span and stuff like that, but I, let's just play our first track here. So again, this is dinosaur junior. Oh yeah. I wanted to say real quick, uh, when they first formed in 80, in 84, they originally went by just the name dinosaur, but there's this super group from like the seventies. Yeah. So there's this group called the dinosaurs that comprised of like members from grateful dead and Jefferson airplane. So like legit, oh, a legit shit. super group. Never heard but of that. They, yeah. They sued dinosaur. Are you kidding and so they just, Yeah. I mean, they were called the dinosaurs. Right. Right. But I guess they just, you know, I guess it was too oh. close for them. So then they're just like, all right, fine. We'll, we'll just go by dinosaur junior, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. Uh, I great. love that kind of like, yeah, it's just clever. Yeah. Like, so, uh, anyway. what are you going to do about that? You can't do nothing. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, their first, uh, record, uh, they were, they were still going by dinosaur and, uh, the label had to sort of like, I guess the equivalent of recalling a record and then they reprinted it with, uh, with junior slapped on at the end of it. But anyway, um, okay. So let's play this first song here. So 1987 before grunge hits before my bloody Valentine really sort of took off. Uh, dinosaur junior was putting out music like this. So here's the first track off of you're living all over me. This song is called little furry things.
I mean, that kind of came out yesterday. <laughs> totally. That's how, that's how big of an influence these guys have. Yeah, one hundred percent. Just, just on rock in general. Yeah, and that's a, and that's what that's that's what's so big about Dinosaur Junior is like they went on to to influence grunge right around the corner, but hugely influential on the indie rock that we grew up on in the two thousands, right? Yeah. Um, the slacker rock, I guess, is what you call it. But yeah, the big thing right there, right, you know, second one of that song, that wah-wah heavy fuzzy mm-hmm. guitar that just like, you know, hits you over the head. Wall of sound. It's a wall of sound, right? Yeah. Um, what's funny is the, uh, there's a, so I watched this documentary, there's a, a documentary about the band called uh, Freak Scene, which is one of their, their big singles. And Barlow was talking about, they were kind of reflecting back on like their legacy and stuff. You know, maybe, maybe someday, maybe someday, people will understand that that the wall of sound that we make is similar, is as maybe as important as the wall of sound that like the Ramones made, you know, or the Velvet Underground made. So yeah, when he talks about the wall of sound, he he thinks about Velvet Underground and the Ramones, which is interesting. Uh, when we think of wall of sound, we immediately think about Kevin Shields' slide guitar, right? And that. Fuzzy shoegaze sound. Fuzzy buddy. distortion. Wall of distortion, yeah. You know, the term wall of sound, the term wall of sound goes back to... Um, that goes back to freaking, what's his name, dude? Uh, yeah, the the producer. Phil Spector. Yeah, Phil Spector. Phil Spector. The, 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 uh, yeah, and, and some of those records he put out with, uh, what were they called? The the Renettes, uh, the the something. The Renettes, yeah, Renettes. <laughs> anyway. That points to, to the fact that, that they were doing this before the My Bloody Valentine wall of sound, right? So like that probably mm-hmm. doesn't even, they maybe still don't even immediately think of the early 90s sh- shoegaze when they hear the term wall of sound because, you know, yeah, they think of their influences that, that were, you know, that were doing that and doing their their version of it before, before the slide guitar of, of Kevin Shields. Yeah, totally. So anyway, what's interesting about his voice, right? is how i mean it's very like, slacker sounding slacker sounding yeah he doesn't he's very monotone like it's just like the words are just slowly dribbling out of his mouth totally yeah and that's <laughs> how he sounds too if you hear the guy on interviews and stuff very you know ben stein from ferris bueller <laughs> very like monotone slow yeah um that's just his vibe but right yeah this is a good example this song is a great opening track to a record number one but i think it really showcases exactly what they do really well which is like this loud loud wall of sound heavy heavy guitar guitar solos right right out the gate you can almost call it a a guitar solo um and that's something that was unique to for 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 that period the 80s you know unless you were listening to heavy metal you weren't going to hear a guitar solo like hardcore bands didn't do guitar solos so like he was very influenced by like 70s rock at the time, like they said, Black Sabbath and stuff is what they were listening to. So he brought back, you know, if you want to call it this, he sort of brought back the guitar solo with an underground indie rock because bands weren't doing that. And then, you know, grunge certainly brought that back, the guitar yep. solo. And then we lost um, it again for many years, man. I, I yeah, feel like we, maybe it, that's, it's coming back. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's coming back because bands are making grunge again. <laughs> right. <laughs> But it's interesting because, you know, 
we think about Dinosaur Jr. 40 years later, uh, approaching 40 years later. Um, but like, it's just interesting because, you know, right now, you and I, we talk about this all the time. Oh, I'm so happy that bands are making grunge music again. You know what I mean? They were influenced by Sabbath, which was, you know, 20 years prior to them. How many critics were listening to Dinosaur Jr. and be like, man, I'm so glad bands are making making heavy rock again. This kind of music yeah. again. You know, it's just funny. Everything is so cyclical. Right. All right. Let's jump to the next track here. Oh, yeah. So let me just give a little bit more history here. I didn't really play any clips from their first record because they were kind of still experimenting and kind of figuring out their sound. Uh, what Blue Barlow says here is that Jay, meaning Jay Mascus, again, he's pretty much the brains behind this group. Uh, he threw a bunch of styles together on the first record to see what stuck. You're Living All Over Me was an outgrowth of that experimentation. So basically, you know, they had been in a hardcore band. Uh, that's what they were used to doing. He was a drummer. He just switched to guitar. Lou was a guitar player and he switched to bass. So he, it's kind of funny. He actually talked about this in an interview that I read that they did last year with Decibel Magazine, where he says... I'd had a realization after listening to Master of Reality, which is a Sabbath record. He says, oh my God, the bass and drums really work together. <laughs> which is kind of funny. Wow, what a revelation. <laughs> yeah, and that's what he says. I guess that wasn't a bombshell, but I didn't have a lot of experience as a bass player and didn't understand the power of a rhythm section. I became obsessed with Murph and I becoming a dynamic rhythm section. Oh, dude, that's that's what you need, man. That is, yeah, you got to have a backbone to your band. So he's coming into that realization during for, for the recording of this record. Wow. They didn't have that on the first record because he was still learning what it meant to be a bass player. Um, but what's interesting, because he has that background as a as a guitar player, is that he played bass. He played chords on the bass, like a rhythm guitar mm. player. So you know that allowed this three piece to kind of you know have sort of like having a rhythm guitar player, but on the bass, which sort of freed up jay to do the guitar solos and stuff and like just have these sh heavy heavy uh massive noise like guitar noise right uh, because you still had sort of a rhythm section with a guitar player who learned to play bass you know just recently right so anyway really interesting okay i'm gonna play another track here that's kind of along the same veins uh, as far as like on the on their heavier side of their sound all right so this song is called sludge feast
Yeah, I mean, I'm hearing his voice like as an influence to more and more bands. The more the more songs of theirs I'm hearing, I'm kind of reminded of um, the Balkans or mm. uh, Jurassic Shark. Who, mm. I mean, they were very short lived. Like you know, super heavy syncopated pop punk group where it's just yeah, it's it's that lazy vocal delivery. You can definitely hear the Black Sabbath influence on this song in particular. I I couldn't tell you because <laughs> I'm not I'm not much of a Sabbath fan. Well, I can tell you. I can tell you all day <laughs> that, that you can hear Sabbath all over that. But um, yeah, it's really it's the dynamic of their songs that went on. You know that that is what was next for rock. Like the Dinosaur Jr. I feel like is this is where rock is is headed. Like we're in the '80s. You got the college rock, alt rock stuff from like REM uh, and stuff like that. Uh, this was like they had, you know, it's like they had a foot in both camps of like what was coming around the corner with grunge, but also like the indie rock sound, and also like the you know the alt rock. You know, they they had he had such a wide range of styles he incorporated in each of his songs. Uh, I know Pixies were a huge; they, they were influenced hugely by dinosaur jr but yeah here's this is just a good i think this is a good a good list here because like you said q uh, you can hear a bunch of different influences if you really stop and think about it especially on that song i, I definitely thought this you know when it went to that kind of quiet almost no distortion guitar strumming right before yeah. it got loud again yeah, yeah. i was like man that sounded like smashing pumpkins yeah uh and sure oh. enough like billy corgan lists dinosaur jr as an influence right uh here's at the bottom of their wikipedia page uh, Dinosaur Jr.'s music has influenced many other musicians, such as Kurt Cobain of Nirvana, Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins, Black Francis of Pixies, Radiohead, Graham Coxon of Blur, Doug March of Built to Spill. We've done an episode on them. Uh, actually, we've done an episode on Pixies, Smashing Pumpkins. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've Henry, Henry Rollins, Tad, Kevin Shields of My Bloody Valentine, Ride, Slow Dive. The list goes on and on, dude. I could, I could, yeah. I could just keep going, but that's that's the whole point, right? Is that they were they're just huge. And and real and briefly here, dude. Like I could really hear just how like meshed bass and drums were on that. Like I was, I was the whole time I was I was focusing on that, and it was just like one entity, <laughs> really. Well, yeah, Q, you can thank Geezer Butler and Bill Ward for that, because uh, you know. Am I supposed to know who those are? You are supposed to know that as a bass player and drummer for Black Sabbath at the uh, time of Master of Reality. So, yeah, it's just funny because he he had just had that epiphany, um, which is something I'm sure all bass players and drummers, you know, have that realization at some point where they're like, oh, you know what? Uh, we need to really work together. <laughs> We're right. kind of like important. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so yeah, he was very conscious about that. And like, as he said, he became obsessed with making sure that they had a dynamic rhythm section between him and Murph. So something else that's kind of important, you know, as they were playing, they were, you know, touring for their first record, which was self-titled. Uh, what's funny is it's self-titled when they put it out, but now that they're called Dinosaur Jr., it's not really self-titled, but it's still called Dinosaur, which I thought was funny. I like it says too, uh, it just says recorded in Chris Dixon's house. Like recorded in... And it says in quotes, Chris Dixon's house. Just some guy's house, yeah. Some guy's house. <laughs> uh, well, so um, so You're Living All Over Me was their first record under SST Records, which is the label that they were signed to. Uh, and they caught the the ear, I guess you should say, of uh, Sonic Youth. So Sonic Youth saw them 
play a couple shows and are really impressed with them uh, and sort of took them on tour. So they toured with Sonic Youth uh, before they put this record out. Uh, and uh, this record was mostly engineered by a guy named Wharton Tears, uh, who worked on the record Confusion is Sex. Do you know anything about that record, Q? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> uh, I believe it's like an EP. It's a Sonic Youth. Uh, no, it's an album. Uh, I thought you read the whole biography, Q, on Sonic Youth. Oh, I mean, it was, it was a it was a thick book, dude. There was a lot okay. in there. I don't remember. Well, anyway, that was uh, a record they put out in 1983. So anyway, Wharton Tears. This record was produced. I mean, their first one was recorded in some dude's house. This one was recorded um, and engineered by. Uh, somebody who worked with Sonic Youth, so yeah, they're they're moving on up in the, in the world of uh, of uh, underground rock at least. Um, but anyway, so let's move on to the next song here. I've got two more tracks for us. So now we're going to slow things down a little bit, relatively speaking, at least. So, and again, that's kind of uh, that's part of this story, right? Um, in terms of like why they're so their influence is so wide because they had they had such a a a range um, on, on their styles and stuff. All right, so moving to the very next track. So I will say one thing. I feel like this record has a very distinct A and B side. So mm. I've been playing nothing but from, from stuff from the A side. Nice. And I'm pretty sure that Warden Tears was primarily involved with the A side tracks, which is kind of interesting. Um, and the B side tracks were recorded somewhere else. That is interesting. I wonder how many other albums are like that. Like a distinct difference in in the producer and where it was recorded between side A and B. Interesting. It is interesting, isn't it? Interesting. Um, and and you I can like kind that. of tell. You can kind of tell. All right. So are we on side? We're still on side A. We're still on side A, I believe. Okay. Yeah. This next song here has a very nice runway cue. You know, I love mm. a good runway. Love them. All right. So this song's going to sound kind of almost like a kind of REM ish or at least more like kind of jangly pop ish if you want to kind of call it that so here we go the song is called the lung
fucking awesome song. And a killer guitar solo. And there it is, man, the guitar solo. He brought it back. Killer. The, the, the indie rock, the college rock um, bands, or I guess the alt-rock bands, the college rock bands like R.E.M., uh, they just weren't known for that. They were kind of getting away from that, you know, uh, the jangle pop stuff. And so Dinosaur Jr., you know, this drummer, he picked up a guitar and just wanted his guitar to be as loud as his drums and stuff, and who was being influenced by Sabbath at the time. Like, yeah, he's going to throw some guitar solos into his into his records, you know, and that's that's what made them so influential for the next wave of rock that was coming right around the corner. Big time, you can hear how how um, Built to Spill was influenced by 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 that particular that song in particular. I could totally hear how Doug March was influenced by by that. But by, by, by this, I'm reminded by, this by I mean, Sloan quite a bit, who we covered. Sloan, yeah, sure. Who, I mean, their first record was I don't remember exactly when, but early '90s. So I'm sure they were influenced by them too. Yeah. Also, I love how that song was just literally just two lines. Yeah. It was mostly just a jam. Yeah. And that's, it's, uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the songwriting. It's something that a lot of people talk about, uh, including his own, his own bandmates, how, how big of a leap there was between their first record and You're Living All Over Me, but mostly just how kind of sophisticated he had become as a songwriter. Uh, being so young too. So Barlow says, now that I have more experience as a songwriter. So another thing about Barlow, he went on to form the band Sebado, uh, which is another big sort of nineties, uh, alt rock band. So anyway, so that, that, you know, she says, now that I have more experience as a songwriter, I can see how brilliantly these songs were constructed. It's an amazing song. So basically a lot, of, a lot of the themes of like, you know, you read interviews from these guys is they all praise uh, the songwriting abilities of Jay and how basically throughout Dinosaur Jr., throughout the history of Dinosaur Jr., you know, the band kind of broke up for a little bit. Well, the, the basically uh, Barlow, after this record, or after the next record, Bug came out, like they had a falling out. He left the band. He started Sabado. The way that some people call it is like it, they were called Dinosaur Jr., but it was basically Jay. You know, it was it's his band, his music. He wrote all the songs. So Dinosaur Jr. is is Jay in terms of the songwriting. Even down to like for this record, like he this is kind of a dick move, but he I, I'm kind of reminded of um, Dave Grohl. The story about Dave Grohl. Well, he had he he set up his own drum kit next to oh no Murph in oh, no. in the studio and would cut, go over and sit on his drum kit and be like this is how oh no I, yeah I know. Uh, uh, so anyway, that would get under my freaking skin, dude. Yeah. Um, and, and this, this documentary that I watched, they all talked about how like they didn't, they didn't see the band as it, it wasn't like a fun thing. Oh. Like it was a, it, it wasn't fun. That, that, that hurts, dude. I was just talking about how, how much of a fun jam this sounds like that, that lung. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. poop, but they've, you know, they've reformed, they reformed in like 2005 and you know, they've all grown and and um you know put out they still put out great tunes and so you know there's a happy ending they all get back together and and continue to make music they're still making music i think they put out a record a couple years ago anyway uh but at the time like you know it sounds to me like jay was kind of a perfectionist and had a very particular vision 
and everybody got behind this vision and everybody realized you know how brilliant this guy was and that's kind of why they they stuck with him all right i got one more song for us here and this song in particular jay mascus uh, said that this was his favorite track on the record uh so when asked by decibel magazine what their favorite tracks were uh mascus said i guess i would pick raisins it was maybe the most dinosaur of our songs at that point it had all the elements of the sound that we were looking for on this record it just works for me nice well, so and and so track uh, the one we just listened to the long was the last track on side A. Raisins is uh, the first track on on side B. So we're flipping the record now, and uh, yeah, let's do it.
I mean, he's definitely not singing in tune. <laughs> That's part of the story here man of like dinosaur <laughs> jr is like and, and the sound i feel like that's influence. part of the story of grunge you know it's, it's part not of it, sure, polished yeah. but that's exa- exactly dude. and that's the thing these guys they 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 came out of the hardcore punk scene you know what i mean like this is what they were anti-establishment you know, they, yeah the scream screaming like and, and yeah. like the you know fast quick loud noisy like that's what they were playing when they first joined up, at least Barlow and Maskis. And then he even talks about how like he, he wanted to scream more. Like he tried screaming in his, like for Dennis Jr. songs, like he wanted to try to do that, but like, he just couldn't sustain it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he just said, fuck it. I guess I'm not gonna scream. And like, that's that what you know, that's, that's part of what makes it that that's his signature sound. In my opinion is like that vocal delivery. Um, yeah, so I looked this up because I wanted to make sure I was, I was saying this correctly. So yeah, side A was recorded by Wharton Tears in New York. Side B at Pine Tracks in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Dinosaur Jr. is from Massachusetts. Um, so the way that Jay says it, <laughs> by the way, it says it was recorded in some guy's home studio in Holyoke, Massachusetts. So <laughs> yeah, paying your dues as an indie band, you're going to... You're going to just record in, in people's houses. Um, but the way that, that Mascus says it is that he says, he, he doesn't even remember his name. That's so funny. He goes, the guy in Helioki didn't have any frame of reference for our sound. I think he was in a journey type band. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't even remember his name. Which, which, is, which is so funny because that is part of the grunge story is like they were, they were so you know, done with jaded Van Halen. Yeah. By, by, by those types Death of bands. Leopard, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, you know, the disdain, you can hear it just even, you know, 20, 40 years later. So he goes, he didn't know punk rock. I had to kind of take control of that session and force my will on him. Now that just kind of plays to what I was talking about with Jay. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of how he was with everybody. Yeah. This is how I would produce this song. Let me get behind the soundboard. I mean, but look, that's the thing. Everybody's saying that, that Jay has this clear vision, right? And right. Like this record is because of that. He goes, I guess that was similar to our experience of making the first album. So there you go. He's calling out Chris Dixon. Um, <laughs> I had to really help form the sound because he didn't have exposure to anything alternative or punk. So I bet you he was like, oh, guys, we got to turn down this fuzz. <laughs> you know, are you sure you want the guitar that loud? I mean, you're not a drummer. <laughs> right i don't know about this guys all right well let's take you um scratching the surface as usual but you know it's it's impossible to to really describe just how massively influential this record was dude yeah for sure everybody largely recognizes that this record was massive and like just in terms of like the underground rock scene of the 80s and how you, you've got guys from mud honey like at their shows in Seattle, like, you know, writing shit down in their notepads and stuff. I'm like, okay, I got to get a big muff pedal, you know, got to get that big muff. Yeah. They named a record after, after that pedal, they called it super, super fuzz, big muff. That was their EP. It came out in 88 a year later. You know what I mean? So like, it's, it's, it's crazy to, to, to think about just how, how influential this band is. 
Uh, and how much like they're staying power. They're still putting out new music. They, you know, they headline shows, uh, festivals and stuff like that. Right. They do. Yeah. Almost all the time they're going to be number one or two on the bill. Yeah. And you know, they, like I said, they, they still play tracks from this record. Uh, and as, as somebody said it, I don't remember who said it, but basically, uh, the idea was like, you know, they could still play songs from the eighties and it sounds just in line with the stuff that they put out on their, on the last record, right? Like their sound that they invented is so timeless. He had a clear vision, dude. Clearly. Yeah. Clearly. He was a visionary, uh, because yeah, it, they were ahead of what was right around the corner. So anyway, if you haven't listened to this record, I don't think I need to convince you any further, uh, but go back and listen. I mean, to we basically played, played all of side A, so you oh, got the rest yeah, of side we, B to listen to. Uh, you're right. We did. And uh, we only played a few seconds of Cracked, but we did play all of side A in the very, we were basically playing the, the, the album in order. Now I'm seeing track 10 is called Just Like Heaven. Is that a cover of The Cure? It is a cover of The Cure. Awesome. We should we should uh, outro with that. Yeah, we can do that. And that's another thing actually. They they actually um they 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 used to make a point of just doing covers for fun, like just while they were messing around and stuff. And a lot of times they would end up on an EP or on a record or just playing it live and stuff like that. I think that's a great idea actually for a band to do that. That's a great idea. Well, the way that they put it is that like they would they would do it just you know, just kind of playing around, having fun. And then they would be like, oh, you know, this actually sounds really good. <laughs> yeah. It sounds better than the original. Well, awesome, man. This is a great way to kick off the year, I think. Great record to kick off the year with. And I've got I've got a ton of ideas for, for I mean, here's the thing. If we're only doing two episodes a month, one of which will be a deep dive, that's only 12 records that we're going to be talking about. Or bands, True. if we decide to devote to, to an episode to a band over just a record. True, because we're we're planning on on keeping our what you heard's once a month, and we can call it that again, Q. You sure can, um, because it's yeah. So uh, I was thinking we could do a Deftones record. Okay, maybe we yeah, do man. that next. Yeah, All right, that's another band I, that I I really need to listen to more of. We haven't really covered a band like Deftones all that often. I like uh, I've said before, and on the track that I played actually last month, I guess I would have played it in. November, our first best of 2023 episode, I played a Narrowhead song that was a huge, huge Deftones um, vibes. Anyway, so Narrowhead, which is one of my favorite new acts, were hugely influenced by Deftones. So that sound, you want to talk about another very influential band. Oh, yeah. Uh, but they're pretty different than than our usual flavor of grunge and shoegaze and stuff like that. So that'll be a different kind of episode. But I've been really digging this record, their self-titled record that came out in 2003. So we'll do that next month. Uh, but man, what an interesting, what an interesting band, dude. That's a group that I just did not, was not on my radar at all back in high school. Same. Uh, because we were, we were mostly into the garage rock stuff. Like this, this kind of thing wasn't in our, like we were into like more emo, mm-hmm. whatever the emo, whatever you want to call it that, that came out third wave in the 2000s third wave emo jimmy world stuff like that um and then garage rock i mean that's because the strokes dude the strokes came out came came out on the scene i mean like we had no choice but to be into garage rock 2003 i want to say was room on fire i think so and yeah 2003 room on fire uh was kings of leon putting out they had put out stuff in 2003 right oh yeah we were obsessed with Kings of Leon before Kings obsessed. of Leon became 
2003, dude. Youth and Young Manhood. So yeah, def- we had no room for Deftones, dude. That was the year that we saw them open for The Strokes, man. <laughs> yeah, we had we, we had no room for Deftones. Um, turning on, turn on the bright lights had already come out. That was 2001, I believe. 2001, but I believe no, 2002, oh, 2003, 2004, whatever. Point <laughs> is, we didn't yeah. listen to Deftones, but I, I. I'm I'm starting to I'm starting to get it. You know what I mean? Like I, I I really enjoy this record. So yeah, I'm excited, man. Yeah, I'll need to give it a listen before we press record. Uh, no, you shouldn't listen to it. Oh, okay. I like I like getting your fresh. All right. Reactions, dude. All right. All right. So that's next month. Uh, but before that comes out, uh, we'll put out our what you heard for this month. I got tunes, dude. I'm bringing them. I got them. You finally got tunes. All right. Got tunes. Yeah, I started I started putting together my list for the first like one or two what you heard for this year if you're like me dude it's gonna be a bunch of bands that put out music last year that you're like man this mm-hmm. should have went mm-hmm. on my best of yep <laughs> for the, for last year yep. that always happens dude i know right after we put out our best of 2023 or whatever best of the year i i, I continue to listen to to new stuff that came out yeah. and i'm like damn and you're like damn it that came out last year how did Another i miss fucker. this yeah exactly yeah. that happens all the time anyway all right well thanks as always for listening Again, that was Dinosaur Jr. You're Living All Over Me. It came out in 1987. Go give it a spin. And as always, you can check us out on the Pantheon Podcast Network. That's pantheonpodcast.com. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks for our What You Heard for January. My name is Travis. And I'm Quentin. Take care.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 